We want to thank you so much for just an opportunity to uh, be able to experience um, another congregation actually getting to sit with a plant church. I've been to some plant churches and visited off and on through the years, but I think this is the first time we're gotten to experience a congregation being able to uh, worship and um, and just study and to encourage each other uh, together. And so, you know, what an honor, what a blessing that is. And you have welcomed us uh, in such a sweet way. So thank you so much. One of the things that I think that we recognize early on in following Christ and uh, as disciples, uh, following after him, a lot of times living out in that Hebrews 11:8, you know, going out where we, we really haven't been before, and so we're constantly on the move. And this place in Scripture that we are going to be looking at in 2 Corinthians uh, reminds us about how much the church was on the move. Um, birthed out of those two pillars uh, early on in Acts, the church out of Pentecost and also out of the poverty uh, that they launched out of Jerusalem that was really that epicenter of Christianity that launched the missions and uh, brought about the planting uh, through the area of Greece in which we're looking at today. And so there's this movement that goes on, this constant movement of God's people, and he takes us from uh, place to place. He takes us from people to people, uh, to, from church to church. And he leads us, he guides us. So as I was preparing uh, over these last couple of weeks for this particular uh, message, I came across a testimony uh, by a wife of a pastor in which they have been doing just that, following the Lord as he calls. And from um, year to year, uh, their first 10 years of marriage, pastor's wife, Hannah Anderson, uh, wrote just an article a couple of weeks ago, Finding Our Place was the title of it, Finding Our Place our family's long quest for calling and home. You know, think about how we can identify with that. I thought about, you know, how much she has moved, been married 10 years, and they moved in the ministry sometimes because they were forced to, and sometimes it was the calling of God. But it really challenged them to find that community. So I was counting the number of times I have moved since being a child. 20 times, and uh, amazing about how God moves us just over and over again and plants us. My grand, I told our congregation uh, one Sunday, my grandfather joked with me, he said, as a farmer, uh, we moved so much that the chickens would come out and cross their legs to be tied, and that's a lot of moving. And so you and I are are soldiers of that, uh, looking at being moved from geographic place and uh, also just from people to people. But here's what she writes out of that article about finding community and settling and being in community. So fundamental is a sense of place to ecclesiology that congregations in the New Testament are identified not by their doctrinal or denominational preferences, but by their location, by the communities in which they exist. Geographical place and residence is important. It is essential to the spread of the gospel. 
So how important it is about the geographical place in which you and I are going to be looking at today at a church in Corinth, but also a spatial place in the sense of person to person, um, uh, community to community, across uh, our street to our neighbors. And Stetcher writes about that term about being missional, that the church, any church, a church, a church of the gospel, realizes it exists to join Jesus on God's mission in the power of the Spirit. So when we're moving about, when you and I are following where God is taking us and we're stepping out into that Hebrews 11a, not knowing exactly where he's going to be leading us, what person he's going to be leading us to, to share our faith or to serve in his name, then a lot of times things are put on the back burner that are supposed to be on the front burner. And uh, we have uh, nature to do that as individuals and as a church. And so we come to a place in Scripture where that is taking place. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And what the Apostle Paul is about doing with this message by Titus being sent to the church this letter was to remind the church at Corinth that there was something that they had, had put a goal to do and they had put it on the back burner. And so he is going to be stirring them up. He's going to be encouraging them. And he's going to be stirring them up to let them make proof of their love, their love for Christ and their love for each other. Uh, Spurgeon writes about this importance about stirring each other up. And I, I you know as we've come together, we're stirring each other up. Uh, he writes, it's good to stir one Christian up by the example of another, and Paul excites those at Corinth by the example of the churches in Macedonia, and especially, no doubt, the church at Philippi. So we, we are looking to do that uh, when we gather together to stir each other up. We're looking to stir ourselves up. I have in my uh, church office uh, some... Uh, letters and cards, and I call it my wall of encouragement. And there's days where I am lower than others. And so I will make my way over to that wall of encouragement. And it only takes a, a maybe one card or two. And God stirs my heart. And this morning already you have stirred my heart. I, we drove into the parking lot. There was someone with at least five children. I lose count sometime. And there were the youngest ones were waving to each one that was driving in. And that encouraged my heart, welcoming us. And then to come in and be encouraged by the greeters and people reaching out to us, encouragement to pray with the leaders here, to pray for each other. That's encouraging. That encourages my heart. That's the greatest, one of the greatest resources, the power of prayer. And then to worship together, to stir each other up with voice and praising God and exalting Christ, that stirs us up. So here in this place in Scripture, Jerusalem, where they were suffering from a famine and they were in great need. Corinth, the church at Corinth, had been the first out the gate with the other churches in Greece to say, we're going to help, we're going to send them need. And yet they put that on the back burner. 
And so now months have passed. It's uh, sometime in the past year that they had made that commitment. And somehow it got moved to the back burner. Uh, can you identify with that? That things happen in our life so much about the trials of life. They were under intense persecution. And so this had gotten moved to the back. And that's where God raises up the Apostle Paul to stir them. And there's three specific areas, three specific ways in this chapter he begins to stir. If you were to stir someone else up that you know that's strong in heart as a believer, follower of Christ, and they have put something on the back burner for months and months, almost a year, how would you stir them up? How would you stir their love? Well, here is what the Apostle Paul does by the Holy Spirit. Let's begin looking chapter 8 and verse 1. And this is the first example. He's going to give three examples in proving love. Three examples to encourage the church at Corinth to prove their love and this offering to help the church at Jerusalem. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abandoned and the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. So Paul lifts up three specific churches in this area of Macedonia, in this um, area of Greece. And he puts forth this example that would be one in which you and I would guess would be the least churches to use because of their hurting, because of their condition in Greece. So he lifts up Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, these churches that were in Macedonia that had already given a gift, and he lifts up the way in which they gave. They were churches that we wouldn't think about because of their intense persecution. The persecution had to be so strong, so significant, that even the Apostle Paul, who was, who was very familiar with receiving gifts from churches, was urged to take the gift, was implored to take the gift, perhaps because it was one in which he looked at the churches and the trial they were about and was difficult for him to be so readily receiving when they needed that also. 
deep poverty. Paul says in verse 2 that this poverty that the church at Corinth was experiencing welled up in rich generosity. And so a lot of times we hear people say, I'm unable because of my ability. This would be those churches. Philippi would be that church. Berea would be that church. Thessalonica would be that church. They had extreme poverty. And yet, out of those two uh, uh, characteristics of intense persecution, their lives threatened, lives taken, and deep poverty, there was the characteristic that would identify with the power of the resurrection of Christ, and that was the characteristic of joy. In other words, they were living out joy because of their relationship, their walk with Christ. And even though they were in poverty, even though they were in need, even though they were in persecution, they had this abundance of joy. Would you say that for your own life, that in the season that you are following Christ in now, would you say one of the characteristics that I believe that is God has given to me in my life is that there is this existence of joy. Would you be able to say that about your church, the churches that we serve, that 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 joy is evidence. It is one of the first things that is noticed, and it's the first thing that's noticed by the Apostle Paul. So Paul gives an accounting here with the use of these churches, and in that accounting, he says they gave beyond their ability. And when we see that in Scripture, we know that's pointing us to what? The grace of God. And so it was beyond their ability and according to the grace of God in which they were able to give and be able to further the gospel. It was by God's grace. In fact, chapter 8 begins with making known the grace of God. And chapter 8 ends with making known the proof of the love of the body of Christ. And so he gives this first example of pointing to the area churches, the sister churches, that were experiencing the same thing that Corinth experienced. And it stirred their hearts. He would use that example and it would stir their hearts. You notice verse 5 that not only they gave as we had hoped, but here is the pattern for my giving and your giving, that they gave of themselves to the Lord first. First, they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So first, before they gave, they surrendered themselves. They yielded themselves holy to God. And then their gift was going to be offered. It's easy to say, isn't it, that I'm giving myself all to God? But living it out, really applying it every day that I am His. About giving oneself, C.S. Lewis writes, the terrible thing the almost impossible thing is to hand over your whole 
self. All your wishes, all your precautions to Christ. But it is far easier than what we're all trying to do instead. And so to empty themselves, Corinth was hearing of the other Macedonia churches and Paul was stirring their heart, stirring their heart to love, to remember the people back in Jerusalem. That epicenter that sent out the missionaries to where they were able to get their start, where they were able to hear the gospel, where they were able to give their life to Christ, where they heard the gospel for the first time and experienced conversion. And all that was looking back toward Jerusalem, where they had been able to have such spiritual treasure. So he points to the churches. The next example that the apostle Paul rolls out, he unfolds to them, is the example that no church can exceed, and it's the example of Christ. So not only does he give the example of the neighboring churches to stir their heart to love, to prove their love, but now he's giving them the example of Christ. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich so for their sakes for our sakes christ became poor and to be able for corinth to move forward from the back burner to the front burner of this gift of grace to Jerusalem. All is revealing, for that to take place, it's all revealing the image of Christ. So what's going to take place in the giving of the gift to Jerusalem is not only that needs will be met, but God's going to do a work in the lives and in the hearts, in that giving at the church at Corinth. So God's about doing a work in our life of experiencing the grace of God, even when it's beyond our ability. When it's beyond your ability to, to share the gospel, beyond your ability to pray as you ought, beyond your ability to worship as you ought, it is the grace of God that ushers us along. And then in these verses, he actually gives a how-to in listening and hearing the example of Christ in which he emptied himself, that we might experience the riches of Christ. Look at verse 10. This is the how. And in this I give advice, it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, back burner, but it's supposed to be on the front burner. There's an urgency to the message. But now you, almost, you also must complete the doing of it, the completion of the thing, that as there was a readiness, a readiness to desire it, 
so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first, what? A willing mind. It is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by the equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, and there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And so God's word unfolds to the church at Corinth of how they could give in such a way. And following Jesus' example, how is it that they could complete what they had said they were going to do almost a year ago? How is it that they could take from the back burner and bring it to the front burner when everything was taking place around them that had to be dealt with? We do that a lot, don't we? As pastor, a lot of times there's a lot going on, and I find myself moving too fast among the people of God instead of slowing down and being with the people of God, trying to meet needs and trying to be where I'm supposed to be, and I can move too fast, and that's to be always on the front burner. We can have, we can have our life set apart for time of prayer first thing in the morning, but change our routine at the new semester at college, the new workplace, the new community, new ones coming into the family, and all of a sudden that which was first front burner is on the back. And so what he says is there needs to be a willing mind and then he puts an emphasis on the time that's now. Have you ever noticed throughout the, the scriptures, there's always a sense there. How many times the expediency, expediency is emphasized to the churches? There's an urgency about what we do. There's an urgency concerning the gospel and getting the message out. There's an urgency to living out that gospel, to be furthered along the word of God. And that expediency is to be proving our love. Do we really care? Are we living out what God's called us to do? And as much as you have done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So what God provides in verse 15 is never wasted, and that's seen with the manna in the Old Testament. Nothing was ever wasted. And it was just right to meet the need of the day. The second example, the example of Christ, no one can exceed that. No church can exceed it. And so God is giving to the church at Corinth through the Apostle Paul the stirring up of their love. Look at what Jesus did. Look what he's done for you. Look at the power of the resurrection. Anything that we would say or make excuse about something being on the back burner, what does that testify of the power of Christ? And that nothing's impossible in him.
And then finally, he gives the example and this stirring up of love is the example of the church shepherds. I think about this. He's giving the example of the local churches. He's giving the example of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his, his power for you and I to overcome sin. He's given the, the love of Christ coming for us, giving his life for us to stir us up. And now he points to the church shepherds. Verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care. Would you underline that? The same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. So that the shepherds, the leaders that God was using to take the gift to the various churches and this letter to the church at Corinth, God himself, Paul's testifying that God himself has put the care into Titus. And that's what God does with the shepherds. That's what God does with the church leaders. He's the one who puts that care there. He sheds abroad in our hearts to care for the flock as he cares for the flock. For the most part, you and I read about it every day about pastors and elders and shepherds that fall. And the world is quick to point to them. For the most part, pastors don't get into trouble for being hard-headed. They get into trouble being dull-hearted. If we lose earnest care for the people of God, the trajectory of poor leadership will always be downward. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 21, God's word is, for the shepherds have become dull-hearted and have not sought the Lord. God's promise in the Old Testament to the people of Israel, Jeremiah 3.15, I will give you shepherds according to my heart. Then not only Titus, but a co-laborer, and he's not named. We don't know who it is. Some say it may be Luke, but it may not be. But he's a co-laborer. And, and the characteristic of his life, this co-laborer in verse 17, for he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligently, he went to you on his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother, this co-laborer, whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And so all the churches knew about this co-laborer that's not named. And what they knew about him was his love, his compassion of the gospel, and how that compelled him and compelled his ministry. And so he's giving testimony to those leaders and he's reminding them that what they are to be doing is and what they are accomplish, accomplishing with this ministry of the gifts was honorable things in the sight of the Lord and in the sight of men. And you see there's sort of a defense there of the ones that are going out and taking this lavish gift. For what's so easy for the people in the body of Christ sometimes is to be critical of those very ones that God is sending to you or God is planting to you. And that's what was taking place in 1 Corinthians where Paul had to give a defense of who he was because 
false teacher, teachers were raised up against his character. And so now he gives a forewarning, a, a lifting up, an encouragement to the leaders and their testimony. And here's what he writes about them. Not only that, in verse 19, but those uh, was also, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift. So there's Titus, there's a co-laborer, and there's others, and they have a, a testimony that is known by Paul and known by the church, which is administered to us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. This gift that was the collection of the churches took about eight years, from about 49 to 57, the collection of this gift that was going to Jerusalem. When this gift was coming to Jerusalem to minister to the, the people that were suffering in the drought, it was so large that government leaders, rulers, heard about it and were interested in it. And so it was a tremendous responsibility, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So this responsibility of our testimony. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now so much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. And now watch this in verse 23. If anyone inquires about Titus... Don't you get the feeling that Paul knew that that was coming? What's he going to do with that money? Where is he going to take it? If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about it, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. This team that's taking this gift, collecting this gift, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show them and before the churches, the proof of your love and of your boasting on your, our boasting on your behalf. Three uh, encouragements, three examples to stir them in such a way, the people at Corinth, that they would prove their love in the way that they were helping out the church at Jerusalem. Show them the proof of your love. And for us, for you and I, that opportunity that we have every day to prove our love, to show our love that we have for Christ and for our neighbor is a priceless opportunity every day for God to be honored, Christ to be honored. And so we're called to stir up one another by that encouragement and to stir ourselves up. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift. And in so doing, stirring up that love in us, that what endures all things, hopes all things, believes all things, stirring up that gift, that we would live for the furtherance of the gospel that saves. In and around Jerusalem, the people that were suffering, the families that were suffering, the church that was suffering, would be the next Titus, would be the next church planter, would be the next gospel bearer, 
And so the weakness that the church had was strengthened by another church, and the strength that another church has was given to the church with weakness, and Paul says, in equality. What a blessing to be encouraged about the churches there in Greece, that first century church, that gave testimony, that they gave more than their ability. God bless you.